You're listening to The Zeitgeist, a podcast focused on Germany, the United States, and the transatlantic relationship. Join us as we discuss economics, politics, security, and more. I'm Jeff Rathke, president of the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. It is, it is a pleasure to be here for a special edition of The Zeitgeist, uh, and I have uh, three distinguished German uh, guests with me today. We are in Bonn, uh, where we have just participated in the International Security Forum, which uh, has been a day-long conversation devoted to uh, security and foreign policy and uh, also a touch of economic policy. And uh, we'll get into some of the details, but first I'd like to introduce my guests. Uh, I'm here with, with three quarters of the team um, <laughs> behind the very popular Sicherheitshalber podcast, which I highly recommend to any of you who are German speakers out there. It is a, a German language podcast focused on security policy. And here to my left we have... Thomas Wiegold. I'm a journalist running also a website on defense affairs in German called Augen geradeaus. Also worth reading. Um, hello, I'm Ulrike Franke. I'm a policy fellow at the European Council on Foreign Relations in London working on security and defense questions. And I am Carlo Masala. I'm a professor uh, for international relations at the University of the German Bundeswehr in Munich. So, um, and one of the things we started off talking about today was um, the future of the West, uh, and in particular about adaptation. Uh, and, and that's where I'd like to start, if I could, because uh, I think one of our participants described well uh, what has happened to American foreign policy, or at least foreign policy uh, inside the Republican Party uh, since the presidency of Donald Trump. Uh, and and you know, it is basically the, uh, erase, the erasing of the liberal international consensus and a focus on a, a different way of engaging the world. It's not anti-internationalist. I, I think if you look around the world, you see Donald Trump meeting with lots of foreign leaders and identifying lots of priorities, but doing it in a fundamentally different way with the past. And so that represents a very serious uh, disjuncture um, with American, American practice. Um, that, of course, uh, has caused great uh, consternation, in particular in Germany, but with a lot of America's traditional allies. And, and so uh, I think it's worth discussing on the one hand how United States policy might continue to change um, and, and, and then also the reaction. Uh, what is the right way for international institutions, NATO, the European Union, the bilateral relationships the United States has with, uh, with its key partners, um, and, and how, uh, so how, should we, how should we move forward? So let's talk a little bit about Germany's adaptation mm -hmm. um, to, uh, to the, the Trump era. Uh, mm -hmm. On the one hand, uh, as Chancellor Merkel famously said, Germany has uh, reached the point where it can no longer entirely rely uh, on others um, uh, for its security uh, as it has in the past. Um, so how far have we come uh, since, uh, since 2017 and, that, uh, and those famous remarks uh, in, in your view? So I think we haven't come as far as we probably should have. So I think there has been a slow realization in Germany that things seem to be changing or that things have changed. However, especially now with the next <laughs> next American elections uh, looming, I think there is an enormous hope in Germany that Trump may not, may, may not win again. And so all of this may in the end be a bit of a bad dream. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is there is yeah a slow realization, some efforts to adapt, especially at the European level. So I think Germany is supporting Europe, the European Union, to do more on on several things, including security and defense. Partly in reaction to Trump, but overall, I think the hope really is that you know we can soon go back to normal, which I think is dangerous. Not only if Trump wins again, but even you know if anyone else wins, because I think things have changed to some extent. I I, I would agree with you, but I'd like to hear from uh, <laughs> from, from others. Before well, we... actually, I think people start to realize <laughs> that it won't be a bad dream you can just wake up uh, mm. out from. So um, even. If it's not Trump again, that something fundamental has changed in U.S.-German and U.S.-European relations, that also in a successor, whoever that might be, won't um, go back to, let's say, Obama-era relations. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a realization there has to happen something, but... Uh, I don't think there's even a consensus yet mm. what should happen mm. and how Germany, and it's not only Germany, it's, it's Europe as a whole, has to adapt. We have been, there have been talks about things, uh, those famous strategic autonomy of mm-hmm. Europe, mm. which uh, remains a, a distant dream for the time being, because if you look at the facts, when it comes to security, Europe... And even the European part of NATO is in no way in a position to take care of this the way the U.S. the U.S. is doing this, mm-hmm. talking the nuclear umbrella and all this stuff. I would agree with my uh, two colleagues, but I would go even a bit further. There is a, a huge gap between rhetoric and action uh, we can see in Germany and we can see in Europe. Um, there is a lot of rhetoric. Uh, on becoming autonomous, becoming more independent, but actually there is less political will to invest in that. So this Mm -hmm. is the huge gap. Mm -hmm. Secondly, um, Europe is not united in this uh, idea of becoming more autonomous. Europe is divided between countries who still think that the U.S. plays the major role in even European security affairs and those who think that the U.S. is gradually withdrawing, at least uh, politically, and Europe needs to do more. And Germany, and this is the paradox, is not willing to do what probably would be required to do to go forward with a country, uh, with a coalition of the willing and the able within Europe to become more autonomous. So it is politically not willing to invest because the costs are enormous. The political, right. economic, yeah. and military costs are enormous. And secondly, it is not willing probably for the right reasons, to undermine one of the pillars of Germany's foreign policy, which is the European Union, a European Union among 27 or 28 countries. Because it would split the European Union, definitely. Wait, wait, what would split the European Union, Carlo? Any drive to 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 have a more autonomous security and defense policy in ah, Europe, okay. to have a Europe which basically would, if require, required, stand up against the U.S., this is mm-hmm. not shared by a lot of European countries. Although I think the idea of strategic uh, autonomy is not so much that Europe would stand up to the United yeah. States, but that Europe would be able to act um, uh, you know, on its own if it needed to. Um, yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but this would require also sometimes to develop a policy which 
contradicts the US policy. Yeah, that's right. Or yeah. say at least which is independent from. Yeah, yes. exactly. And I think this is a really important point because I, I feel that there's a lot of misperception, misunderstanding of this whole idea of European strategic autonomy. And now in Europe, we actually talk a lot about sovereignty as well. Mm. The point really is that this is not a policy that is directed against the United States. Right. The whole point of the strategic autonomy, strategic sovereignty is that Europe, the EU, should be able to act more on its own, by itself, um, without always having to rely on the US. Mm -hmm. But there is a key difference here. And I think that actually, in a way, the term autonomy has been badly chosen, because I think especially in, in DC, um, it has been either misunderstood or, to be honest, deliberately misunderstood. By no, some I mean, if, if you look at Macron's remarks to say, you know, we need to defend ourselves against China, Russia, and potentially even against the US, no, 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 there no, is no, nothing no. to be misunderstood there. Okay, Carlo, <laughs> you are wrong. <laughs> this this is, is the kind of lively discussion you get on Sicherheit, however, <laughs> if you tune in in German. Go ahead. No, this is actually really important because I remember this speech and I watched it and I think that this, this kind of connection between defending against the United States has been totally taken out of context. Okay. Um, and, I, and he never said that you know, Europe would need to defend itself against the United States. Okay. He did mention that Europe would need to defend itself possibly against um, uh, Russia and maybe China, I don't quite recall. But the United States point was, was more about yeah independence, as I just described. It. Well, but let, it was let me, poorly formulated. Yeah, uh, but, but let me come uh, look at this uh, from a different angle, perhaps, because um, you know, if you if you talk about um, you know strategic autonomy, um, and if you and if you talk about the, uh, the the other initiatives that have been taking place within the European Union, it seems to me, particularly for Germany, there is this huge disconnect uh, because on the one hand, uh, Germany's security policy remains, and political leaders have restated many times that Germany secures its uh, you know its territorial integrity and defends you know its its, uh, you know, its security policy interests through NATO in other words NATO is the cornerstone of German security um, and yet if you look at all of the policy initiatives um, all of the intellectual energy uh, in Germany is going into European Union um, uh, ideas, initiatives um, that, uh, and I think this leads to a bit of confusion among Americans who observe Europe, no. because w where are the new ideas? Well, the new ideas are, the, are in the European Union, the European Defense Fund, and all of the other acronyms. Um, uh, whereas in the core relationship, which is NATO, mm. you see much less evidence of intellectual ferment and new ideas coming out that that would you know persuade people um that that this rhetorical gap carlo mm, mentioned mm. is being closed well no. I, I would object because yeah. if you see what nato has done or the new initiatives which, which came out of nato in recent years uh, like the bjtf the mm. very high readiness joint task force like the enhanced forward presence where germany has on a rotational basis, based a battalion or takes the lead of a battalion in Lithuania. Right. Those are things where NATO is doing something and there are new initiatives and they are also backed by Germany. Mm -hmm. So it's not that all uh, 
all efforts go into the EU and none goes into NATO. But they are on a different level. I mean, yeah. in, in, in NATO, we have a lot of, I mean, there were a lot of initiatives uh, initiated by the German, by the German government or the MOD on, an, let's say, operational level. In the European Union, of course, we started talking about a more strategic level, which mm -hmm. then broke down into operational levels. Mm -hmm. And maybe because this is a new development within the European Union, it got more attention than, you know, the day-to-day -day work, mm -hmm. how to yeah. underpin yeah. The, the political initiatives in NATO. And, and you shouldn't underestimate, I don't know how many Germans are aware that there are German combat troops based basically um, in the line of sight of the Russian border. Right. Mm -hmm. Which uh, is something definitely new. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Rika? I have to say I agree with you, Jeff, and I think an important point is about communication because I would argue that one of the reasons why it feels as if so much more is being done on the EU level than at the NATO level is also because the German government is much more comfortable talking about all these efforts on the EU level than it would... Be talk would be to talk about these things at the NATO level because NATO in um, in the the mind of the Germans and quite honestly rightly so is a military alliance right yeah. the EU is not so doing things for the EU is kind of you know doing something good it's positive it's diplomatic etc even if we're talking about kind of security and defense efforts while doing something for NATO while not being seen as bad is you know doing something militarily so so, uh, so it's because it's because of the the kind of general. Um, suspicion and skepticism in the German public about uh, about using force, I think um, that's yes. especially Germany yes. using force. Yes. Yeah. Is that? But what, I okay. would go even further. Doing something in the EU means doing something in an organization where the US is not a member. Mm -hmm. And this, of course, I mean, there is a this general skeptic about the use of force in Germany. But now, of course, since 2017, you know, it's also a general rejection of cooperation in, in the public, in public mm -hmm. opinion, with of cooperation with, with the Trump administration. And, and I would say, I think Germany is really an outlier. In it, it is much more sensitive to this than pretty much any other European country. Right, uh, so I given think our of. history. Well, well no, no, no I, mean, I, I, mean, I mean the American, the American, oh, the American oh, yeah. connection. Right. I mean, look, um, look, can you imagine, or oh, I haven't heard about, the chief whip of the Social Democrats gets in the German Bundestag up front and says, we're not cooperating with a racist, mm -hmm. meaning Trump. Right. So this is a language. I mean, Trump is, is, is someone who uses a hard and tough language. Yeah? But usually the Europeans don't use this kind of language when it comes to the U.S. Right. And one of the coalition partners in Germany stated very clearly a couple of weeks ago, we don't cooperate with a racist. So this is pretty unique in Europe. I would yeah, say. yeah. Maybe just one point, because you mentioned that Germany is an outlier, and you are right. However, the other very important player in the European Union, and another very important player within NATO, France, is, an, is also an outlier, just in another way, right? Mm -hmm. a, lot of, a lot of the uh, current initiatives within the EU and within you know, Europe in general are currently coming out of France. Um, and France also kind of um, prefers doing things at the EU level or at the European level rather than at the NATO level because, you know, France right. has its own issues with NATO. So sure. both of these forces basically um, benefit the, the EU level rather than the, the yeah. NATO level. True. Although, you know, I can just say personally, as somebody who lived through some of the worst days of, of, uh, of NATO-EU disagreement and of American suspicions 
uh, of French intentions within the European Union. We are not nearly at that level of uh, of, of you misunderstanding. Mean when French um, wine was poured into <laughs> the freedom fries. Freedom fries. Uh, well, even before that, I mean, even in the nineties, yeah. in the late nineties, there was a huge suspicion in Washington, as in some other places, um, uh, about what um, a a stronger European uh, security uh, and defense policy would mean, and whether whether this was really just a uh, a way of trying to push the United States out of Europe. So uh, while there are certainly disagreements um, uh, between the current U.S. administration and Europe, it's also worth keeping in mind that there have been some pretty bitter um, mm-hmm. uh, mutual suspicions and disagreements in the past. Uh, Thomas, yeah, go ahead. I and then, to mention yeah. uh, that obviously the idea that a stronger or a military stronger EU mostly also would mean a stronger European pillar of NATO. Right. Because most EU members are also part of NATO. Some some are in, in EU, not in NATO, and the other way around. But uh, qu- quite a lot. So all the military capabilities which would strengthen Europe would strengthen NATO as well. Yeah. And I think this is also perhaps this this always seems to me to be part of the answer to Rika's dilemma of how do you talk about this with the German public? Um, It it should be possible to to point out um, that, you know, everything, all the capabilities Germany develops uh, through its, uh, you know, you know, massively increased defense spending in recent years uh, are forces that are able to carry out European Union tasks, NATO tasks, uh, or indeed under a UN umbrella, if if we uh, you know if, if you ever yeah. uh, saw it. So um, so I think there is there is a there can be a constructive ambiguity uh, there. Um, can I switch to a different topic? Um, because we are you you mentioned uh, earlier that we are 13 months out from an American presidential election. We are also about at the halfway point of the German uh, the Bundestag's legislative um, session, um, and and so we've got two and years. Maybe maybe we are at the close to the end. Well, if, we that, that's right. If we but if we start from the assumption that this coalition yeah. will serve its yeah. full four yeah. years, um, which I think is at least uh, at, at least likely. Um, what can we expect in the next uh, two years um, on the German uh, political front when it comes to defense and security? Nothing at all. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, um, I'll make you start. I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll, you're going pers- to persuade Thomas uh, th- th- us that Rika is wrong and make her uh, no, 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 I'm used to objections by Rika, so that's not the point. <laughs> <laughs> that's actually, that's part of the... Um, concept, right? Yeah. right. The, the yes. beauty yeah. of the podcast. Exactly. <laughs> no, I think, um, well, we, we, we had a massive increase in defense expenditure in the recent years. And um, what's difficult to, to, to explain is that we, we have an increase for the coming year again. And then the projection for the following years is going down. Mm-hmm. So everybody's talking about the projection of the defense budget while nobody knows whether this will really go down, as projection says, mm-hmm. in recent years uh, the projections always have been lower than the actual budget. Right. So let's see how this goes up. What we are going to see we um, will depend on on the next few months because there are some major projects underway which need decisions. One of the biggest and largest is a question 
of the new uh, fighter bomber. Germany is still uh, deploying or using the decadal tornado fighter jets. Yeah. And there the U.S. relations comes into play because those are part of the so-called so nuclear sharing. Yes, exactly. Uh, so, which in, in the U.S. never confirms this, by the way, officially. Mm -hmm. uh, But for our listeners, this is uh, the, uh, the, the within NATO, um, NATO allies, uh, a number of them, uh, have aircraft that are able to deliver Uh, U.S. nuclear bombs in the event of a conflict uh, that goes nuclear. Uh, right. And Germany is one of the countries that has these what are called dual-capable aircraft. Right, and also one of the countries where German uh, U.S. nuclear bombs are based, although nobody wants to confirm yeah. this. Allegedly yes. based. Yeah, Allegedly yes. based. Allegedly based. Yeah, yeah great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so these um, fighter jets have to, bombers have to be replaced And the point is, uh, most probably, it will be a U.S. aircraft mm -hmm. because the U.S. has to certify these aircraft for the delivery of, of nuclear weapons. So this decision at the moment um, is, uh, is a very tough point in the governing coalition because the Social Democrats reject the idea of purchasing a new nuclear bomber. Mm -hmm. And we will see how this turns out because this is a major procurement decision which has to be made. There are others which do not relate to the U.S. but relate to the capabilities of the German armed forces. So when you ask about how will it go on in defense in Germany, I think the major point is capabilities and the decisions for the procurement of new capabilities for the armed forces. Uh -huh. So there's a good story that uh, that may uh, that may be waiting to be told. Exactly. Uh, okay. Rika. Yeah, I I worry that that's not the case. I was exactly also thinking about procurement decisions that this government needs to take and yet I think it is possible that if even if this government continues for another two years that they can't agree on taking any of those decisions and that they're just gonna wait. Sit it out, postpone it. not do anything exactly, and this is really my big worry. And there is—it's not just the the follow-up system for the tornado. There are a few others, um, and I just worry that in this coalition, which is a very awkward coalition between the two big big parties, CDU SPD, um, especially the SPD, doesn't want to be seen as the party that, yeah, okay's procurement such as for a nuclear-capable aircraft. And so they will just not take any decisions. And that's what I meant earlier by nothing at all. I think we're going mm -hmm. to sit it out. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I basically, I mean, one of, of the rare moments where I would agree with Rika. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Can we mark I'm, I'm, I'm glad we were able to have a first uh, on this recording. I love you, too. <laughs> um, no, basically, I see it the same way. I mean, we have a domestic situation where the social democrats are losing ground uh, electorally speaking so they're getting weaker and weaker and weaker and that that they're trying to reinvent themselves within this grand coalition and one of the points is that they reinvent themselves as what i would say the party of peace um and here we go i mean if it comes to procurement there is huge opposition from um important parts of the Social Democratic Party. Not right. all of them, but important parts of the Social Democratic Party. If it comes to mandates for deployment, there's some, some kind of opposition from the Social Democratic Party. So whatever will come up in the next two years, which is new, 
and which would require German armed forces to be deployed somewhere in, in, in a mission, I think the, the Social Democrats will be extremely reluctant to support this um, because it doesn't fit into their overall idea on how to reinvent mm -hmm. themselves. So I would say don't expect too much from the German government in the next two years. Okay. Well, I, I um, wouldn't be that pessimistic, but okay. Okay. With. Well, th there we have it. And and uh, and what, whatever happens, uh, we'll be waiting to talk about it on the Zeitgeist. So I want to thank Carlo Masla, Ulrike Franke, and Thomas Wiegold for for joining me for this discussion. Uh, coming to you from Bonn, and uh, looking forward to the next uh, edition uh, of our podcast. Uh, I'm going to say goodbye here, and until next time, bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Zeitgeist a podcast produced by the American Institute for Contemporary German Studies at Johns Hopkins University. Send us your feedback by email to info at AICGS.org or catch us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at AICGS. Don't forget to check out AICGS.org for more information from today's episode. Auf Wiederhören!